0: Welcome to Divorce Dialogues. I'm Catherine Miller. I'm the founder of the Miller Law Group and director at the Center for Understanding and Conflict, and I am on a mission to change how people divorce and help them divorce with dignity. And my my guest today is Nancy Hetrick. She's a certified divorce financial analyst, mediator, and forensic specialist. She assists divorcing clients with crafting a creative out-of-court settlement agreement and a kinder, gentler, more affordable process. She has over 20 years of experience in both investment management and financial planning. Welcome, Nancy. It's a pleasure to have you on the show.
1: Oh, and it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
0: So you are a certified divorce financial advisor. And so what, what exactly is that and how does it differ from regular financial planner or accountant?
1: Well, the CDFA credential was actually created, gosh, almost 25 years ago from the Institute for Divorce Financial Analysts, and it's really a subspecialty for existing financial advisors or accountants or potentially paralegals, where we really get advanced training in all the financial intricacies of divorce that most people are just never aware of. There's there's a whole bunch of IRS laws and all kinds of little intricacies around divorce finance that most of us just don't get very educated about. And so the CDFA credential was born to really kind of help fill in some of those gaps.
0: You know, I really appreciate what you're saying because I have many cases where, you know, there are very special rules in the Internal Revenue Code and in state laws having to do with divorce that are different than the usual. And I have gotten into, um, let's call it, hotly contested debates with many accountants, you know, or tax preparers over the years saying, yes, you actually can do that. (laughs) You know, and, and, you know, or you can't do this. And, you know, there are, you know, mostly it's ways in which you can do things that you can do this one time because you're getting divorced that you can't do the rest of the time. Is that your
1: experience? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the truth of the matter is I find, you know, I have many times in my career, and I'm sure you've come across this too, where someone's CPA is not aware of some of the divorce specific Items in the Internal Revenue Code. It might just not be something they deal with every day, and that's okay. That's why you put specialists on your team and why you want a divorce specialist. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, there's nothing wrong with them. This is what they do. It's not like they're somehow flawed in what they do because they don't know the divorce laws, but there is something you want, like a one-time person who has real specialization and knowledge of the tax laws around divorce to help you make the transition. Exactly, yeah. And what are some of the common financial mistakes you see people making in divorce settlements?
1: Well, there's the common ones and then there's the big ones, right? (laughs) Probably the most common is not looking at tax implications at all. I can't tell you how many people come to us post-decree, so their divorce is already done, it's over And no one bothered to look at the tax consequences of the divisions. And unfortunately, we often find that even though a couple may have gotten what they think is an equal 50-50 split, after taxes, it may turn out that one person's 50% is a little more equal than the other person's 50%. So, Can you give an example of that? yeah that? absolutely. I, I had a couple once where they had negotiated. there was a um and I'm just going to use round numbers just for simplicity of story, but let's just say they have a hundred thousand dollars in a in a c. d. in the bank, and they have a cabin in the woods that's worth a hundred thousand dollars, and they say, "You know what? I don't really want the cabin. you keep the cabin. I'll keep the c. d fair and even, Stephen. no problem. Well, no one had ever bothered to find out that that cabin had been gifted to them 25 years earlier from their father, who had also had it for 10 years. The cost basis on that cabin was $10,000. So when she sold that cabin, because it was not a primary residence, $90,000 was subject to capital gains taxes at both the state and the federal level, and so she ended up with a tax bill of about 20 grand, so her hundred thousand wasn't quite as equal as his.:
0: <laughs> Yeah, you know, I always think of it this way when I say to people, when you're looking at the assets that you're looking to divide, you're looking at a fruit bowl, right? And in the fruit bowl, you've got apples and oranges and pears and bananas. And if you want to, and, and, and the, you know the apples are the investment assets and the pears are the retirement assets and the you know bananas are the real estate or whatever. And if you want to make the apples and the pears and the bananas look like each other, you have to do some pairing. And you have to do some analyzing because they're not the same. An apple is not a pear. It's similar, right. but it's not the same. Right, right. I love that analogy. So, That's
1: really powerful. You
0: know, And if you'd rather have the apple, well, let's make sure that the value of the apple is the same as the value of the pear
1: or say it
0: doesn't matter. But no. I think it's Exactly.
1: And that's really, at the end of the day, Catherine, what I am so passionate about is make whatever decision you're going to make, but make sure that it's fully educated and fully informed and you understand the consequences of those decisions.
0: Okay, so you said this is one of the common mistakes, and you distinguish that from a big mistake. What are some big mistakes
1: that people make? Oh, I'll tell you. The number one place for big mistakes is pensions. Pensions, pensions, pensions. Now. Not as many people have pensions today as have had them in the past, but certainly government workers at both the state and the federal level and some of the larger employers are still offering pensions. But I often see a decree that will say something like, you know, the pension is to be divided via quadro, 50% of the marital value. And that's all it says. And I'll tell you, I have a real nightmare story I can share with you. I, I worked with a client. This was really early in my business back in 2012. And her husband had a Arizona state pension. And in the, the decree, it said wife to be awarded 50%. And he was very, very close to retirement within like he, a year he was going to retire. And that's all said. His wife is entitled to 50% of the marital value that shall be done by Quadro. Well, Within 30 days of the divorce being final, unfortunately, the husband committed suicide. And no one knew that husband had never selected a beneficiary on that pension. And the decree failed to mention that he would reaffirm her as the beneficiary. There's no problem splitting the pension after death. But in this case, because nothing was said about the beneficiary, the entire pension was gone. It was reverted back to the state of Arizona. And within a couple of years, the wife filed a malpractice suit against her attorney. And I, you know, we're talking about a million dollar asset that was because it was not, the intricacies of it were not fully understood at the time of the divorce, it ended up. Being completely uh, relinquished.
0: Wow, that's really scary. And Nancy Hatcher, you've just very smoothly used this term, quadro, and not all of our listeners might know what that is, so maybe you could explain what
1: a quadro Absolutely. is. Absolutely. Thank you. Yeah, a quadro is really that's a we say, we call it a quadro, it's really an acronym that is a QDRO, and that stands for Qualified Domestic Relations Order. And pretty much for most of your company retirement plans, in order for them to be divided, if they're eligible for division, you're gonna need that extra legal document, a qualified domestic relations order, that also gets signed by the judge. It's submitted to the plan and has some very, very specific languaging and requirements and every single plan is different. And so it is really an area that is just rife with complexity and choices that often aren't even looked at. And where someone like myself will come in, we'll get the plan documents, we'll talk with the plan about what their requirements are for division, what the different choices are that the couple might have available, and we'll use those in mediating a settlement. Things like, you can get so specific, and, and most couples never even have the opportunity to do this, but the Arizona state pension has a cost of living increase every year. Well, what's really fascinating is you can actually choose to split only the core pension and give one party all of the cost of living increase. What a fun thing to play with when you're negotiating a settlement where you can say, well, what if this? What if we let him keep the cost of living increase and we get you $100,000 in cash up front instead to purchase a house, you know what I mean? So we can get really creative mm-hmm. with knowing exactly what the value is of the things that we're looking at, and therefore then opening up the world of choices that otherwise would not have even been considered.
0: I'm Catherine Miller, and you're listening to Divorce Dialogues. We're here on WVOX 1460 AM in Westchester County, New York, alternate Wednesdays from 5 to 530, but we're also available as a podcast, on all-popular podcast apps. As well as on the podcast website www.divorcedialog.com, and I'm talking with financial analyst Nancy Hetrick today about common problems and solutions in divorce. And well, right now we're talking about pensions. And Nancy Hetrick, you know, I think that when it comes to pensions, it is super complicated. And because that's certainly true with the old-fashioned kind of annuity-type pension, which is a defined benefit plan right where you know it's this kind of monthly payment the social security style that the employee receives upon retirement and those are as my understanding is really different between the public sector and the private sector. Every private sector pension is, is written a little bit differently and there's also state to state or municipality to municipality different rules and you really need to have someone who really understands those plans in early in order to avoid making a mistake, and also to give you the best possibility to create the best solution that you possibly can, given the limitations and the opportunities.
1: Is that right? Absolutely. Yep. Could not agree more. And I'll tell you, especially when it comes to municipalities these days, because so many of our municipal plans are fairly significantly underfunded. And what's happening is these municipal plans are starting to change their rules about what happens in a divorce, and it's often to the detriment of the non-employee spouse. For instance, in Arizona, our public safety pension for police officers, they are no longer able to list an ex-spouse as a beneficiary, period. So that means... In that case, if the employee spouse dies before the, let's just say it's husband, and if if husband dies before wife, and the wife was counting on that pension money to fund her retirement, well, guess what? When husband dies, that money's gone. It stops completely for both of them. And so unless someone has done the planning to look at, you know, what kind of life insurance vehicles might need to be available or other possible ways we can secure that stream of income, you know, people can get hit with a real rude awakening 20 years down the road when their money stops and they thought they were going to get it for life.
0: Yeah, that is really scary. And I think there are a lot of other things like that that people just don't understand. And another thing about pensions I don't necessarily want to spend the entire show talking about pensions, but one thing that it really has to be considered is whether or not the benefit is going to be a joint survivorship benefit or just based on a single life. Can you talk more about that?
1: Yeah, they'll have a choice in payout. And like you said, I mean, we could, we could talk for a whole day on pensions and, and the, the subtleties of them. But company pensions, well, any of them, you can choose different methods of payout, right? So when you get that payment... If you choose the highest possible payment, then when the employee dies, that's it. No more money. Or you can choose some survivor options where when the employee passes away, then they can have a survivor, usually a spouse, that will then continue to get a benefit, usually at a little bit of a reduced level. Then you can choose a 50% survivor benefit where instead of the full pension, it would only be half, and then you get a little bit higher payout. What's crazy, though, like I said, is these municipalities are changing their rules where you cannot have an ex-spouse as a survivor. So that creates all kinds of complexities and things we have to be aware of when we're, you know, structuring these settlements and how they're going to actually play out at the end of the day. So what are some of the other
0: big mistakes that people make in crafting divorce settlements that don't work?
1: Yeah, unfortunately, I think one of the biggest mistakes is keeping a house that you can't afford. You know, we get a lot of folks that, I mean, let's face it, divorce is a a huge, huge change in anyone's life, and it's a time when you kind of feel like you want to hang on to some kind of stability, and often people will choose the house. If there's so much going on, so much changing. I can't handle changing my home at the same time. But yeah. they don't really do the research and the planning to make sure they're going to be able to afford that home. And where if they sold it as part of the divorce, they would share equally in the selling costs. If someone chooses to keep that home and then a few years down the road figures out they really can't afford it, well, now they've got to shoulder all those costs on their own. And so there's a real cost to doing that. So one of the things that we do as as CDFAs is, is we do a 20-year projection for each party, cash flow, net worth. Does it really work out the way you think it's going to work out? And we map in, you know, income gain, you know, for that spouse that needs to go back into the workforce, we'll do a gradual ramp up of incomes and and really look, is it feasible? Does it work? Is the the plan that you're thinking for yourself does it really make sense and can we make it happen? And it's just it's such a joy when we can take that uncertainty off the table so that the decisions that they're making are fully educated and informed and they can have a level of confidence about what they're doing.
0: I think that makes a lot of sense. I'm Catherine Miller. This is Divorce Dialogues. We're here on at 1460 AM every other Wednesday from 5 to 530. Also available as a podcast on our podcast website, DivorceDialogues.com, as well as on all podcast applications. I'm talking today with Nancy Hetrick. And Nancy, if people are interested in learning more about you and more about the CDFA, where can they get more information?
1: Yeah, absolutely. The name of my business is Smarter Divorce Solutions, and our website is just smarterdivorcesolutions.com. I also have a book available on Amazon, Divorce is Not for Dummies, How to Cover Your Assets. And email, this email me, nancy at com. Great. That's very helpful.
0: And I know that you've been involved in crafting creative resolutions for people. Can you talk a little bit more about that and maybe give us an example or two as to how that might
1: work? absolutely i'll tell you it's it is one of my favorite things about what we do almost every single couple that we work with at some point during the negotiation they'll say we can do that and i could to say yes you absolutely can because we're really coming up with thinking outside of the box you know how can we make things work part of it too is i started this business in 2012 in Arizona, in Phoenix, Arizona, which was one of the most heavily impacted metropolitan areas with the housing collapse. So most of my clients had homes that were underwater. And I kind of inadvertently became a specialist in creative settlements of the primary home. So, you know, we work with couples that often, you know, maybe they have kids in high school that only have three years of school left. And they really can't, afford to buy another home in the area, but we want to get the kids through school so we can create agreements where they agree to own the home together until after high school is over and we'll sell it at that point and split the profits. And, you know, there's some titling and some things that have to be done there to protect both of the parties, but we can absolutely make it work. We do a lot of horse trading of different assets. You know, one of the things we can still do for people to optimize tax efficiency, if there's a large discrepancy between one party's wages and the others, and it's going to stay that way through retirement, well, the more retirement assets I can give to the lower income spouse, the more after tax assets to the higher income spouse means they each get to walk away with more money at the end of the day. Because ultimately what I'm doing is shifting income to somebody who's going to be paying taxes at a lower rate. So we try to get as creative as we can to say, how can we maximize everything that you've accumulated during your marriage so you both get more of your own money at the end of the day? Unfortunately, we did lose a big area of creativity last year when they took away the tax deductibility of spousal maintenance. On its surface, that sounds like a positive thing. Unfortunately, it's really not. What it means is that more income is taxed at the higher rate, making less money available for the lower income spouse. And that was an area we used to be able to get a lot of creativity now that we can't do that anymore, we're always looking. We're always looking for other ways we can really maximize the tax efficiency of a settlement.
0: So how does that work if you give, did you say, more of the
1: retirement funds to the lower-earning spouse? Mm-hmm. Because ultimately, in retirement, that spouse is likely to only pay 15% taxes, whereas the higher-earning spouse might be having to pay 25 or 30%. So, the after-tax value of the asset is worth more if we give it to that lower-income person. So, whenever we're structuring a property settlement, we're always looking at a 50-50 split on an after-tax value. And so, this goes right back to your first analogy of we might have to give one party two apples and the other party one banana to get to that 50-50 at the end of the day and maximize the efficiency of exactly how we're going to do that and and squeeze out the most bananas we can. <laughs> right, exactly.
0: I think that makes a lot of sense. And I think that people don't really know that they can do something other than just split everything 50-50 exactly as it is. When they're, when they're looking at they don't realize that there are things that they can do. And sometimes people will come into my office and they'll say, well, I have to move out of the house because I could never afford it. And that's not necessarily true, right? I mean, if if there's going to be cash flow between the parties, especially if there are children involved, and that that will level the playing field in a way that they might not immediately
1: expect. Is that right? Absolutely. And, you know, gosh, all the very well-intended advice from girlfriends and people and, you know, you just really owe it to yourself to be able to see all the numbers in black and white so you know you're making good decisions for yourself.
0: Yeah, I think that's really true. And, and how should people really think about, you know, I think there's something that I call the chump factor, HUMP. you know, that where one person maybe feels that they're a fool, they're paying too much, they're not getting enough, you know, compared to those girlfriends or guys at work or whatever. Do, do
1: you know what I'm talking about? I do, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that people have to be really, really conscious of right now is from one state to the next, the laws can be dramatically different. So be cautious of that if somebody's telling you about their divorce settlement that was in a different state. Okay, the laws can be very, very different. And in fact, I mean, from your state to mine in the Northeast, your spousal maintenance laws are completely different than ours and things are changing quite rapidly. So, so that's number one. But yes, the chump pet factor, I, I, I like how you call it that. They need to know that it's fair. And the only way you're going to know that is to have somebody really sit down with you and go over everything in black and white. The reality is, Couples, you can have two highly educated, highly professional spouses, but the reality is only one of them is the CFO spouse. One of them has kind of delegated the financial management. And they're going to need some help to get back up to speed and, frankly, get some support at how the heck they're going to manage their own finances going forward because they might not have done it for 20 years.
0: Yeah, and that can be extremely scary. What do you suggest for a person facing that situation? I've been raising the kids. uh, Whatever it is, I haven't been paying attention to the finances. I haven't written a check in 15 years. I'm overstating it. But my grandfather, when my grandmother died, hadn't written a check in his his entire life. He didn't know how to do it. Exactly.
1: Exactly. You know, there's a brand new specialty now called a Certified Financial Coach. And one of the employees in my office is our financial coach. And she does just that. She works with folks who haven't managed money in decades, helps them set up a budget, a plan, just kind of walking them through that monthly money management. It's a wonderful, wonderful service. And it's really quite inexpensive.
0: And that's not a lifetime, then, signing up for a lifetime of coaching. It's a short-term transitional thing. Is that right?
1: Yep, absolutely. And, in fact, they start out with one half-day session, basically. And some people are good to go after that. Most of them need about three months of follow-up where we're doing a little bit of coaching throughout the next three months to just make sure they got it and they're feeling real comfortable.
0: So, Nancy Hedrick, if there are people listening in our last minute or so who are thinking, geez, you know, I'm really unhappy in my marriage, but I'm really worried that I can't afford to get divorced. What would you say to those people?
1: I would tell you to go to the Institute for Divorce Financial Analysts. They have a search by zip code. Find a CDFA in your area. And one of the things that we do really, really well is a what if look. What's it going to look like? Um, you know, I would, sometimes I work with couples who are in marriage counseling that are trying to f- decide if they're going to stay together or not, and they want to see what if, what's it going to look like financially if we split, and that's absolutely a service that we can help folks with.
0: All right, thank you so much, Nancy. In our last seconds, do you have a quick piece of advice for anybody listening to a show who might be considering divorce?
1: Yes, don't cheap out. Be willing to pay for the experts you need. It will save you far more money in the long run. I think that's really
0: excellent advice. Ms. Patrick, thank you so much for your participation in Divorce Dialogue. It's been a pleasure. And thank you, Catherine, and for all you do as well.